0: Well, if you would, turn to Exodus 15, we're going to start at verse 22. We're going to do something a little bit different this morning. As you do that, uh, I do trust you had a good break. Some folks sent in some photos. It was interesting, Mitch DePoy is on our our board and he was out ice fishing in Alaska this past week. Here's a picture of you, Mitch. Uh, But I like this one of Tom Flynn. He was out, oops, 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 that's his car. Uh, so there's Tom out ice fishing. He decided to take a little bit warmer climate, and unfortunately, you see what happened to Tom. So there you are. How'd you like that, Tom? You. Yes, I, I thought I you'd love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Exodus 15. We we left, if you recall, at the end of our time together back in November. We looked at the. Going through the Red Sea and breaking out in song, the Song of Moses, which is the first part of 15. And after that song, and moving to Mount Sinai, where we're told that's where they're going in chapter 19, is some has called this, some scholars call this the journey to God. The journey to Mount Horeb is where they're headed. All right. And in that process, there's several scenes that occur. We're going to look at three of them today. We're going to look at the attack from the Amalekites in chapter 17 next week, which is just a powerful scene. We're going to slow down and just take a few verses. But today I'm rather ambitious. I want to take three scenes and we're going to look at these. The reason we're doing the three, they deal with the physical essentials of life, water and food. The first two, chapter 15 as well as chapter 17 deal with water, and chapter 16 deals with food, and you all know what that is. That's manna. You've heard that before, right? So I thought we'd do something a little different as we look at these three passages. You'll notice that your notes have some blanks, and what I'd like to do is to break us into groups of two. We're only going to spend five to seven minutes, that's all, but what I'd like to do is have one group take chapter 15. It's just seven verses, 22 through 27, and I want you to look at what is the problem, what is Israelite's response, and what is God's response, all right? So we're going to do this. Kyle and all of you guys, we're going to put you with this first passage that is Exodus 15, all right? So in your tables, I'd like you to read the text and identify these three issues. You all have Exodus 17, one through seven, all right? We're just going to do five to seven minutes, But it's been so long since we've been together, I thought we'd do a little bit of fellowship as well. uh, And answer these three issues. The problem, or identify it, the Israelites' response, and then God's response. All right? And we'll come back together. So I'm going to give you about five minutes to do that, and then we'll resume. And by the way, if you're new and it's good to have you here, feel free at any time to grab more coffee and donuts. There's plenty up here, all right? So don't be shy. (laughs) of course,
1: we would we wouldn't throw this <laughs> Well, you might
0: give you two more minutes the problem israelites response god's response One more minute.
1: <laughs> How do you guys do? Oh, you got it.
0: This must take some heavy batteries.
1: Sister, or my sister, my daughter gave it to for Christmas, and I understand it's the young hip thing to do. Of course, I'm wearing it. We just keep telling us all that. <laughs> Most of the guys behind me are, if they see it, they're thinking, "Hello, <laughs>
0: they're too tired. <laughs> okay, let's come back together. I know some of you are still working, you budding scholars. I want to look at Exodus 15 first. And for those who did Exodus 15, and if you guys that did not, you want to write some of this stuff in, uh, what is the problem that we see here in Exodus 15? Help us out. What do we see? What's the situation? Undrinkable water. Uh, In fact, if everyone would turn to Exodus 15, 22, it says, Moses then caused Israel to journey from the Red Sea. They went out. It says, three days into the desert, they found no water, and they call it Mara. In fact, Mara. Or bitter is the term. It's what uh, Naomi in the book of Ruth refers to herself as. Remember, she's the sucking on prune juice when she comes back. I, I have no one, and Ruth's standing right there. You gotta love it. But uh, four times the text tells us it's bitter, which means it's it's high in salt content. It, it's you can't drink it. All right. Uh, so we're three days from the parting of the Red Sea. They've probably run low on water supply. Right. So there's our problem. What's the response from the Israelites? Let's just look at this. What do we see? Guys, help me out. Grumbling. 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 In fact, it's not just a little murmuring in the Hebrew. The term is loaded. It's actually a severe complaint. We're not only... We're we're just three days out of parting of the Red Sea, (laughs) wiping out the entire Egyptian army Right? They just witnessed that, and then they had a great praise and worship service afterwards, and they're saying, God, what in the world? Right? So, in fact, who do they grumble to? Moses. Right? They don't grumble to the Lord. Indirectly, yes. Right? And that's probably, I was looking through this, that's probably their greatest offense, because they don't run to the Lord with the issues. They run to Moses And what they're assuming is that Moses is the leader and not Yahweh. That's part of the issue with this whole event. What else did you see with the Israelites' response? Anything else you want to add that you saw in the text? Dave, did you see anything else? I saw grumbling. You saw grumbling, yes. (laughs) You you see it several times. In fact, it's going to occur in every incident that we look at. Chapter 15, chapter 16, and chapter 17. Yes. I don't know if there's anything here
1: or not, but my um, my version says they they
0: didn't grumble to him yes well, i don't know if there's some anger anger to somebody the against is uh, a way of english trying to render this term that it, it, it's more than simply just a oh i don't like this 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 is it's, it's hostile you know th- they're very upset in fact even the questioning in verse 24 what can we drink uh, is very negative it's like what did you do you know, why did you why did you do all this all right so we see this in the text. Anything else you want to add on, on their response? In fact, it's interesting. Psalm 106. turn there. You want to write this down in your notes as well because it's relevant. Psalm 106, the Lord refers to this incident at Mara. Psalm 106 verse 7. The psalmist writes, our ancestors in Egypt failed to appreciate your miraculous deeds. They failed to remember your acts of loyal love, and they rebelled at the sea by the Red Sea. Three days out, right? This incredible event, a huge praise and worship service, and they're going, God, what did you do? You've forsaken us. And the psalmist brings us up and says, listen, they, they blew it at Mara.'" Right? Yes, Dick. There's
1: an issue of leadership with Moses in the sense that he knew they were thirsty. He was thirsty. Uh, he could have gone to the Lord and preempted this.
0: This is great. I want you to watch. Uh, I was going to put another category in this list besides uh, the situation, Israel's response, and, and God's response, and that's also Moses. His leadership is really wanting by the time we get to chapter 17. Fifteen, it's 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 a little shaky, but by the time we get to seventeen, his leadership is really weak, and God will step up to the plate to help Moses as a leader. Good point. Yep, uh, Moses has a lot to learn yet <laughs> uh, through this whole process, and that, that's what you'll see here as well. Not not just Moses though, but also the Israelites. I
1: mean,
0: is yes, and, and that's the point of fifteen. In fifteen, he will run to the Lord. Uh, 17, we'll see something else that happens. Great point. Good, good point. And so, what do we see with God's response for you guys that did this? Lou, what did you find with God's response? Well, first of all, He provided a rod for Moses. Okay, He provided.
1: Then uh, the rod became a sweetener.
0: The, okay, or the tr- it's a tree, actually, in yeah, the Hebrew. Like, yeah. Or Yes. Yes, what does he refer to himself as? Look at everyone look at 15 even if you didn't take the text. Look what it says in verse 26. Then I will put on the Egyptians, then all the diseases that I put on the Egyptians, I will not put on you for I the Lord am your healer. Right? So what is he asking for? What's the Lord asking for? He's asking for obedience, right? I even put this in your notes down at the bottom of page one. The Lord calls for His people to find life through obedience. That's the whole issue. Look at Deuteronomy 7. This is a, a, a foreign concept to the Pentateuch. In the last of the five books in Deuteronomy 7, the Lord reiterates something that we see here. Well, look at verse, uh, chapter 7, verse 15. The Lord says, The Lord will protect you from all sickness, and you will not experience any of the terrible diseases that you knew in Egypt, i.e. the plagues. Rather, He will inflict them on all who hate you. By the way, that's conditional. So if you don't, then I will make you sick, right? So it, it's, a, it's a conditional statement with the Israelites You obey, I bless. You don't, you're going to be sick. You're going to be cursed. All right? So as we make this journey up to Sinai, the Lord says, I got a few lessons to teach you along the way. Right? The first is at Mara. You need to trust me. You need to be obedient. And isn't God gracious to the people, to the Israelites? I'm excited. Last October, Iron to Iron sponsored an event with Dan Wallace. You remember the textual critic? Uh, Lord willing, uh, we're going to have Professor Dr. Gary Yates come in, an Old Testament scholar, this coming October, and he's going to address the God of the old. Is it the same God that we see in the new? Uh, he's a, It's going to be great. I'm looking forward to it. But we see God as a gracious God, even in the Old Testament. Because look at verse 27, then they came to Elam where there were 12 wells of water. And yes, we can talk and try to Allegorize it. I don't. There's enough for every tribe, right? And they camp there by the waters, just like the Lord brings you through it. You know, you go through this trial and testing, and even even being rebellious, God graciously provides more and more than you would ever dream, right? We see there at the end of fifteen. Well, flip in your notes to the third page. I know this is crazy, but in the third page was the space for. I should have told you guys that. You probably, hopefully saw that for chapter 17. If you didn't, I apologize. You didn't. Oh, my bad. Uh, <clears throat> the reason I'm giving you both the water and I'm going to take the uh, food, the manna and 16, is that I'm already all wet, so it doesn't matter. So there you are. Okay? So let's look at the problem in chapter 17. It also deals with water. 15 was bitterness. That's too much salt. We get to 17, and what do we see in 17. What's going on here? Help us out. What's the problem, men? On this side of the room, what do you see? No water. There's no water this time, right? I've had the the plenty, and now we get to 17-1, and all the. Co- community of Israelites travel the journey from the desert of that's really Zen don't think that's uh, the desert of trespass or sin that's it's totally different it's the wilderness of Zen even today I could take you to southern Israel and we can look out into the uh, the, the area of Zen uh, the, uh, <laughs> you won't find swimming pools down in that region it's very dry uh, very parched according to the instruction of the Lord. And they pitched camp in Rephidim, which means the place of rest, far from it. Right? What do we see? Help us out. What happens? What's the occasion here? No water. What what goes on? Help me out. What's the Israelites' response? Anger. Anger. Yes. This time it's ratcheted up, isn't it? Not only do they grumble, they also... The text, my English text says they complain. And in fact... Um, verse 2 look at 17.2 it just says so the people strove with Moses and they said give us water to drink Moses said to them why do you strive with me why do you test this term is loaded it's used in Genesis 24 and it's, it's speaking of, of violence and what are they ready to do to Moses by the way stone him we are about one month out from the Red Sea and, and keep in mind, we've already had water furnished to us, you know, less than a month. And most scholars believe there were other miracles that occurred in between this, from the Red Sea to the Mount Sinai that aren't even in the text. And you're going to see manna and quail in a minute that happened before this event. And yet they're ready to stone Moses, right? What's the response of the people besides anger, complaint, uh, ready to stone Moses. What else do we see? What do they say? What's. They're
1: falsely accusing, him of trying to kill all the
0: Israelites. Yeah, falsely. They impugn the motive now of, of the, the leaders, don't they? Um, Moses lets this get out of hand. In 15, he try, even though it's inadequate, he eventually deals with it. In 17, this thing is, is spiraling out of control. And notice their, their complaint this time, the Israelites, and this is from Ryken's commentary on Exodus, and I think he's right. They demand God's provisions, give us water. There's almost an assumption in the text that Moses and Aaron are hiding some water, you know, as if they have a tank in the back room or something that, that no one knows about, is give us to drink, right? Where is it? Verse 2 is kind of the idea. We know you got water, where is it? <laughs> Poor Moses um but they also deny god's protection you you've let us out here uh, to die right uh, we see this in verse uh, 3 why in the world did you bring us out of egypt to kill us and then as you said they they doubt god's presence you know he's abandoned us it would have been better in egypt we'll see that in 16 so um and again, as you mentioned, this is only one of two times in the Old Testament where we're told they want to stone Moses. This this place and in Numbers fourteen are the only two incidences where they want to take Moses out, which is amazing to me. I <laughs> know uh, no wonder. At one point, Moses says, "You know what, God? Let's, let's start all over. You, you just just take them, and we'll just begin all over again." Forget this ever happened. I saw a hand. Kyle, you had a... That's
1: what I was going to talk about. I mean, they're like saying, hey, let's go back to Egypt.
0: Yeah. Well, and we'll see that in 16. It's even worse. We'll get there in a minute. All right. Well, what is God's response? What did you as a group find? Help me out. What did you see?
1: God said, get the elders and go with him, and take the staff that you had, that you put in the Nile River.
0: Yeah. This time, get the rod. We're not throwing a tree down into the water. Uh, get your rod, which is a symbol uh, of, of this, and, and we're going we're gonna to deal with this. In fact, it, those of you who did not read 17, but those who did, did you notice the, the very act of Moses doing it is absent? The text doesn't, it just says it's done, right? There's no description of Moses going down to the water, striking a boom. No, there's none of that. Because the focus is on the speech. And again, what do we see God doing? He's calling for obedience from the people. How are you going to be my people? How are we entering this covenant on, 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 on Horeb? You know, when we when I give you the Ten Commandments and all that, that entails, how are we gonna do that if, you, if you're not being obedient, if you're not following? And interesting, the place is no longer called Rephidim. What does the text tell us it's called in verse 7? Massa and Meribah means the place of complaining and the, compl- and the place of, of testing. <laughs> not a pleasant sight. And in fact, here's another text to write down in your notes. Psalm 95. Turn there. Uh, Massa and Meribah are not just historical events of Exodus 17. You realize they're referred even in the book of Hebrews chapter 3. But Psalm, I want you to look at Psalm 95. Look at Psalm 95. This is, this is amazing. Because <clears throat> the psalmist writes in verses 7 through 9, he states, For he is our God, we are the people, his pasture, the sheep he owns today. If only you would obey him. There it is. He says, Do not be stubborn like they were at Meribah. Oh, we know that one. Like they were at the day of Massa in the wilderness, where your ancestors challenged my authority and tried my patience, even though they had seen my work. Wow. Horrible indictment, right? You pathetic lot. Well, let's turn to 16. Let me walk through 16 with you again. I gave you both water. Let me deal with some food. We're Chapter 16. Yes, uh,
1: Paul. David, I find it interesting how water is such a prevalent element of this, it is almost as if it's the antithesis of the plague, where the first time he had blood in the water, so they couldn't drink it, and other issues, and of course, crossing the Red Sea, and now he's taking water that's used for destruction to provide and protect his chosen race.
0: There is several connections scholars make between the blessings that God, the provisions that God gives contrary to the curses that he gave to the Israelites. And that can also be seen in 16. So let's look at 16 because we'll see that again. That's great, Paul. Uh, by the way, 16 is rather lengthy. I, I break it at, at 15, so forgive me uh, for you scholars who want to see the whole thing. Uh, you can look at it on your own later uh, it's really an issue of manna and then all the regulations on how and when they can gather it, et cetera, and, how, and you can read all that. But I, I want you to see something that's there's a, a major thread that's running through these three incidences. Okay, so 16.1, when they journeyed from Elam, the entire company of Israelites came to the desert of Zin, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the... So here's this, this one-month time frame. The entire company of Israelites murmured against Moses and Aaron. Four times in chapter 16 alone, we're told they murmured. All right, it's getting rather old, isn't it? The Israelites said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by pots of meat and when we ate bread to the full. You think that's true? No, they were slaves, right? Right? Genocide was taking place. And and they're saying they had all this food and provisions? I don't think so. But you've brought us out into the desert to kill the whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, I am going to rain bread. Does that sound familiar? Instead of raining down hell and and judgment that we saw with the plagues from heaven, and the people will go out and gather a certain amount each day, Give us this day our daily bread." There's nothing wrong with wealth, but one of the dangers is you lose your dependence on the Lord. <laughs> and that's why this prayer, give us our daily bread, as well as the whole manna incident is daily, you must look to me for provision, all right? Don't don't count on your, your 401k to kick in, all right? That's the whole point. And it says, then I will test and whether they will walk in my law or not. Here it is this whole issue of obedience. If I'm going to give you the commandments and, and the Mosaic, the, the law, that is, uh, uh, down the road here in chapter 20, we, we've got to get some lessons right. And on the sixth day, they will prepare what they bring in, and there's twice as much as they gather each day because the seventh is the Sabbath. You're saying, well, wait, the law hasn't been established. The Sabbath was established back at creation. And Moses and Aaron said to all the Israelites, in the evening, you will know that the Lord, did you catch that? You will know that the Lord brought you out of the land of Egypt. You would think you would know that by now, (laughs) right? I'm sorry. When you cross through a Red Sea on dry land and you watch an entire army and a very elite force be wiped out, I think you would see something. Right, And in the morning, you will see the glory, I love this, of the Lord, because he heard your murmuring against the Lord and what we are that we should murmur against, uh, that you should murmur against us. And Moses said, you will know that when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening and bread in the morning to satisfy, it's the very thing they cried out, right? We don't have meat and we don't have food. He says, fine, let me show you my provisions. Because the Lord heard your murmurings, it says, then Moses said to Aaron, say to the community of the Israelites, come before the Lord because he's heard your murmurings As Aaron spoke to the whole community, they looked towards the desert, and there the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, I have heard the murmurings of the Israelites tell them, during the evening you will eat flesh, and in the morning you will be satisfied with bread that you may know, there it is again, that I am the Lord your God. My prayer for you in 2017 is that we as a group may know the Lord in a richer way this this, uh, calendar year. And in the evening, the quail came up and covered the camp. And I know some scholars try to say, well, they, they, they flock, they migrate from Arabia, and that's why they landed here. And when they're tired, they just kind of... You still got to explain the number as well as the timing, et cetera. There's a miracle occurring here. And the layer of dew that evaporated, there were small round things on the surface of the desert. For lack of a better, they, they call it manna. And if it's from a more... Some say that the term really means "what is it" or "what I call it," because there is no no way to really define it. And I give you some characteristics there in your notes, and you can look at those. Uh, there's tried to, some have tried to explain what it is, but Paul tells us it's heavenly bread. And there's no way else to describe it. It satisfies. It's nutritious. You can boil it. You can do a ton of things with it. It kind of sounds like betavichovitamin or whatever they call that stuff. I don't know. There it is. Right. <clears throat> And then the text tells us, uh, verse 15, because they did not know what it was, and Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given to you. It's your food. Interesting in this scene, you've already got, as we look at this, uh, the problem, it's one month out and they, they apparently have consumed their food supplies. But careful, careful there, because in their response, I want you to see some things, this is in your notes. But there's several things. Their complaint wasn't exactly true. They said they've run out of food. But those of you who looked at 17, in fact, everyone, turned to 17.5. What do we see? They're concerned about the lack of water for themselves and for their livestock. Bobo gives milk. you got goats that give milk, and that's cheese. You can even kill one of them and eat it. So it's not really true that they're out of food? Huh? Right? Interesting, isn't it? I've looked at that text, I don't know how many times, and that thing jumped out and me like, wait a minute, you do have food. Secondly, they exaggerated their former situation. We had pots of meat. Really? I don't think so. I don't think so. Third, they impugn the character of the leaders. This is what we saw earlier. And let's face it, the bottom line is they're insulting God Himself. You, they don't trust Him. They question His provisions, etc. And that's seen there in your notes. Uh, they're under letter B on page 2. What is God's response? Well, let's look at this. This is also there in your notes. First of all, the, the Lord this is under letter C, verses 4 and 5, the Lord calls for a need to know. And you say, well, how is it they didn't know God? Well, I I think, as I mentioned in your notes, it would seem that the point of the narrative is to call for the Israelites to start regarding God and not Moses as their true leader. You need to depend on Him. You need to long to be with Him. And, And that's your problem. And the Lord is so gracious. He says, in fact, I want you to know me. That's why we're going through this mess. That's why I'm allowing this to happen. But I'm with you. And in fact, you see that with the whole issue of God's glory, which He longs to be glorified in this event and in their lives. Uh, In your notes, under verses 9 through 10, Quoting from Reich and he says, God did not perform this miracle simply because his people begged for it. He provided them bread for his own glory. Right? Question, David. Yes. Uh, he says he's going to provide the bread and meat, and the quail comes that first night, but later on,
1: there are no quail, it's only the bread. So- yes.
0: It would appear that there's some intervals in which food is provided over a time. Uh, numbers seems to suggest that manna is resumed, so there's there could have been a gap in between here. So there does appear to be that the manna is the regular provision. The quail seems to come and go, and the manna may even as well. Some scholars say. Good point. And David, to
1: that point, just the entire camp was covered with quail. Can't you envision them capturing much of them, putting them in cages? And these things are going to reproduce as well, too. And so you have continual food source potentially right in the cages, if you yeah.
0: will. Well, they weren't limited to how many birdies they could catch in a cage, I guess, yeah. right? That's so there could be that. The, that uh, uh, We know in first century, I could take you several places archaeologically, and you can see the, the um, oh, well, I can't think of the technical term the, for raising birds, for raising pigeons and quail. You, you see all these little niches where the birds would stay and, and raising. So, yes, it was a common practice later as well in Judaism. So that could be that. Uh, it's a good point. Never thought of it that way. Good. Yeah. In, in your notes there under 13F, I want you to see this. The scriptures describe the manna, so you can see that. But the point is, as I just highlighted, um, the Apostle Paul refers it, to it as spiritual food. Um, There are several connections Paul is going to make just with these three incidences, doesn't he? That Jesus ultimately is the bread of life. Jesus is the rock that's struck and and so forth. But once again, what do we see? We see a call for obedience, don't we? Uh, We could look at Deuteronomy 3, but there's another call for them to be to, to respond. Look at Deuteronomy 8.3. Let's, let's do it. We, we got some time. this is such a great text. Deuteronomy 8:3 So he God humbled you Israelites by making you hungry and then feeding you with unfamiliar manna what I call it right? He did this to teach you that mankind cannot live by food alone, but by everything that comes from the Lord's mouth. Chapter 15, bitter waters. Chapter 16, issue of food. Chapter 17, issues of fresh water, again, needing water. All of it is in preparation for God going to reveal Himself the Mosaic Law, and in preparation for what He's expecting from His people. Questions or comments on these three incidences, they're, they're huge, as, as God is preparing and molding His people. And we're going to see it next week when we look at the Amalekites. Because <clears throat> It's like going from one frying pan to the next. They, they faced the Egyptian army, now they're going to uh, face the Amalekite army, which we'll talk about their, their power as well uh, in, the, in this time frame.
1: Yes, Paul. So, David, I I envision that that Lucifer's uh, pressing on the Israelites is no different at this period of time than it would have been when Jesus was being tempted and he says, man does not live by bread alone. And I I almost see a direct correlation in between the Israelites' response and Satan's response to try to tempt, tempt the Lord himself. And his response is, you know, it's the word of God you live on. It is... On me that you live on trust and obey
0: paul's drawing the connection with jesus in the wilderness jesus is the true israelite isn't he it wasn't 40 years but it was 40 days but he demonstrated tempted in every area as the israelites were without sin and interesting how did jesus respond every time to satan it was scripture the problem with the israelites their focus was on themselves Right with Jesus, it's on the very word of God, and that's the lesson these Israelites have to learn: is you must depend on God and His glory and His presence. Did you notice in 17 when the rock is struck, who stood in front of them? God Himself, right? I I am here in your midst. Don't miss this, chapter 17, for those who did the text. Yeah, Lou, and then we'll look at application or implication.
1: Say that God chose at a certain time to have Moses be his boots on the ground and say, they're going to see you as God. Mm-hmm. And then here he's saying, okay, now, enough of that. Let's refocus. Because for what he had to do, somebody had to represent him. Boots on the ground in front of you. Uh, so when we say, well, is this surprising seems to me that God had a plan and okay, I'm done with that. Now it's me. Let's
0: remind people. And that's why I think there's a call to know that you that uh, he's he's wooing them in. <laughs> yeah. He he's graciously moving with them. Yeah, Dave. Mm-hmm. But the ultimate is, as we we know, it's not about you know Wonder Bread. It's about this. And Jesus said, "I am the bread of life. This is what you should be longing for." And and so as we look at these three, it, it's easy to say, "Oh, look at those <clears throat> pathetic Israelites! You know, and all they went through, and they couldn't." But that's that's let's take it to ourselves and. The the intersect, the application, I started off with the verse from 1 Corinthians 10. The things that happened to them, that's referring to the Israelites as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. Paul says, listen, don't forget the Israelites and what happened to them. That's an object lesson for us. And I don't know what you're going through in life. Some of you I know. um, There's a couple of guys who aren't here this morning because of some deep waters they're walking through. And whatever the situation is, what should our response be? Well, I could give you a ton of text, but I'm only going to look at two of them. Turn to 1 Peter 1. Let's look at this one. What should our response be when there's no water When there's no food in the pantry. And Peter, who knows a lot about grace, in fact, 1 Peter is called the epistle of grace. He writes in verses 6 and 7 of chapter 1, This brings you great joy, though you may have to suffer He's talking about our salvation that's that's yet to be revealed, its culmination. He said, This brings you great joy, although you may have to suffer for a short time in various trials. Yep. Such trials show the proven character of your faith. Joy. Right. That's far from the Israelites who are grumbling uh, in 15 and 16. In fact, they trembled, they grumbled in 14. I mean, every chapter they're marked by grumbling. Not a way to be known. And let me, give you, let me give you one more, James. We've looked at the book of James as a group, but James, that's turned there, Hebrews, James chapter 1. <clears throat> he says, my brothers and sisters, consider it nothing joy when you fall into all sorts of trials. He's not asking you to be a masochist, far from it. The joy is what it's going to produce. That's why Paul can say in Romans 8, all things work together for good, not that the situation is good. But the ultimate, the next verse is that you're being conformed to the image of Christ, right? So that you get to know God and you get to see His glory. <laughs> it's not anything different. Paul said it in First Corinthians ten. And what is God's response? Let's look at God's response. There's two two verses, and again, we could make a whole litany of them, but just a couple to hang on your beak today. Philippians chapter four, <clears throat> verse nineteen. And my God will supply your every need according to His glorious riches. He just didn't give them water in Exodus 15, turning that pool, not not stagnant, but that bitter uh, pool into water they can drink. He gives them then 12 wells and an oasis. (laughs) Let's pitch your tent for a while. Let's rest. And so the same He does for us, right, in His glorious riches, and I love it, in Christ Jesus. And then let me give you one more, Second Peter, if you would, turn there, and we'll end with this text. <clears throat> Second Peter 1. Peter knows a lot about uh, depending on the Lord, <laughs> because he blew it big time at one point. And 2 Peter 1.3 says, I pray this because His divine power has bestowed on us everything necessary for life and godliness through the rich knowledge of the One who called us. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. You say, well, that life's still hard. Yep. But we know where we're headed, those of you who know Christ as your Savior you have the presence of the Holy Spirit, God's glory in your midst. You have provisions that sustain you and and mold and shape you, right? And you have the promises to cling to. All of those things are absent in the world. And these Israelites, unfortunately, are still trying to know this God. And we are blessed living in the new covenant that the Holy Spirit dwells with us and we can know, right? It's a great lesson. No wonder Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, look to the Israelites. (laughs) Let that be a great lesson to you as we journey through. Questions or comments? Let me close in prayer. Father, we thank You for Your love for us and Your provisions. And Lord, uh, I can stand here in front of the group and be the first to testify. There's times when, like the Israelites, I murmur and even complain. It's the, uh, the game plan isn't as I anticipated, <laughs> and uh, you have different ways of working, and sometimes it's hard to see that with all the crud of this world, and Lord, we just thank you that you're in charge. You are the gracious God who longs for us to know you. You long to, to reveal your glory, and uh, we are just so grateful that uh, we are yours, and the provisions that you promise are there, your reputation is at stake on those promises, and we just cling to them. Be with these men this week, and particularly today. Again, we pray for Jeff, we pray for Rich, Richard and uh, seeking a job, and uh, may they even more so understand your provisions during this time. Lord, we love you, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. We have this room until 9, so you don't have to dart out. There's plenty of donuts and coffee. Even We do need to start tearing down eventually, but don't let that shoo you away. So it's just good to have you all back. All right. God bless. Have a good day.